It's no secret that writing can be lonely work, but does it really have to be? Whether you're full-time, part-time, or just starting out, you'll get insights into the tricks, tips, and production habits of writers from every level of the biz. From best-selling authors to those launching their first novels, you're sure to be in the company of friends as we encourage great writers to divulge and share their secrets. This is the Great Writer Share Podcast with your host, horror and sci-fi author, John Crinan. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 52 of Great Writer Share, the podcast where every week we grab an hour or so of time from some of the kindest and hardest working writers around to join us in the show and discuss their approach to the craft of writing, publishing, and staying creative in today's world. So, another new voice on the podcast. Last week you met Holly, but if you missed episode 50 of the show, then you might be surprised by the fact that you're still not hearing Dan doing this intro. Well, the Great Writer Share team has grown, and along with the usual great episodes from Dan, who you all know and love, going forward, you're also going to be hearing new interviews by myself, Holly, and Faye, who you'll be meeting next week. It is the 6th of September as I record this, so let's dive into my personal update. And I guess I should probably start with a little about me. My name is John Crinan and I am a sci-fi and horror author and podcaster. I live in London, but this is a Scottish accent, and I very much consider myself at the beginning of my author journey. I've had a number of short stories published. I co-wrote a book with Dan and a few other authors for Halloween last year called The Nest. And I've got some fun new writing projects in the pipeline, which I'll share more about in future updates. Long-time listeners of the show may even remember me. I was a guest on Great Writer Share way back in episode six. So if you'd like to hear a little bit more about me, then queue up that episode in your podcast app of choice. Uh, But not before you listen to this one, please. This week, today in fact, I'm about to deliver a new short story that will be part of a Halloween event later this year. Uh, Along with my usual daily word targets, I aim fairly low. I aim for 500 words a day. Uh, Early wake-up calls, I'm a big fan of early starts. I often have my alarm clock set for 5am. And new podcast recordings, aha! Speaking of which, a big thank you to everyone who answered the question of the week as posted on our Patreon and Facebook. The question we asked was, how do you give back to the author community? Dan shared that he's always prioritised giving. That's why he started this podcast. He said that giving back was the greatest way to open doors for the future. And he made the fantastic point that no matter what stage you're at, you can give, even if it's as simple as helping hold a friend accountable. And that is very true. Yanni said that she tries to spread the word. If she thinks a friend will love a story or book, then she'll make sure to share it with them or buy the book herself. Yes, Yanni, I agree. Buying the book is perhaps the best way to give back and show support. Jasmine co-founded and moderates a writer's community to give back. Fantastic work, Jasmine. Writing is very lonely work sometimes and providing that space can be invaluable. And finally, Andy said that he offers to do proofreading and give notes where he can. And when it comes to promoting, he's a real quick draw on the retweet button. And that's worth remembering, I think. Sometimes showing our support or giving back takes as little effort as clicking retweet. And that can mean a lot. Today's guest is author V. Castro. We discuss getting the words down during lockdown, writing in the horror genre, and boosting marginalised voices. 
But before we get into the show, I want to remind you about our Patreon community over at www.patreon.com forward slash greatwriterscare, where for as little as $1 a month, you can get involved in our behind the scenes group, benefiting from early ad-free access to episodes of the show. You may be listening to this one early, where you can also join our private Slack channel, ask upcoming guests any of your questions and get involved in our monthly giveaway. So if you like the idea of upping your author career and getting all of that good stuff, then one more time, that is www.patreon.com forward slash great writer share. I'll see you over there. And now without any further ado, let's dive into the interview with the one and only V Castro. V. Castro is a Mexican-American writer originally from Texas who now resides in the UK. She is the author of horror, erotica, and sci-fi books, and her titles include Maria the Wanted, Hairspray and Switchblades, along with the future releases Goddess of Filth, coming from Creature Publishing, and Queen of the Cicadas and Mestiza Blood, both from Flame Tree Press, which are due to be published in 2021 and beyond. Her short stories have appeared in a number of anthologies, including Lockdown and Worst Laid Plans. And when not writing fiction, she can be found posting film reviews on sci-fi and scary. Most recently, V, or Violet, has co-founded Fright Girl Summer, an online book festival to promote women in horror with an emphasis on women from marginalized community. Violet, welcome to the show. Hi, Hi. thank you for having me. Oh, you're most welcome. Um, So I like to start with firsts. Um, and I do want to talk a little about your first book, but there's kind of a, an elephant in the room right now with the world as it is. And I just wanted to know with COVID-19 and lockdown, how, how has that affected your writing right now? How are you holding up? We've had a few uh, months now, we're like four months into it. So we've had some time to adjust, but if, you, if you're anything like me, I don't feel like I've really adjusted. I just wondered... How are you getting on with it? Uh, you know, I, um, I've had some really, really, really bad days. And I've had some good days where, um, you know, it's probably been one of the most difficult times in my life ever. Um, but at the same time, I've never been, I guess, uh, more inspired. And I just, because I'm at home and I'm not distracted, who I am by my family. But um <laughs> I've, I've haven't written more either. So I've just kind of thrown myself into the writing and all the ideas that come to me. Um, you know, I've, I, in the beginning I was having really vivid dreams and I couldn't sleep and, uh, had some inspiration and then, um, you know, things calmed down, but yes, sometimes it's really still very difficult for me to sleep. Um, just for various reasons. And uh, if I get an idea, I get an idea and then I'll I'll write it as much as I can, but so I, I haven't written more than I have now or I had um, more acceptances. So I guess in some ways that's really good, but at the same time, it's um, a lot of it, I think comes from uh, just turmoil, <laughs> which is like, okay, great. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, I think a lot of things in my life have been stripped back. I think for everyone, we've just been stripped right back and confined and all you have is your imagination your mind and uh so yeah that's kind of what's happened for me 
Yeah, I guess that's a, that's a really good thing to have to be writing more now than you ever were because a lot of writers, a lot of people have had a completely different reaction. And I guess that's reflected. You know, my my intro, although it mentioned a lot of titles and a lot of things you have going on right now, it's, it's really just the highlight reel. Uh, you have more that I didn't mention. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot more, which I'm, I'm so blessed. I, I, I feel like I said... It's in some ways been the worst of times and the best of times. It's really impressive. Um, And it's even more impressive when you realize that your first book, Maria the Wanted, it only came out a few years ago. It was 2018, I believe. Yeah, November 2018. So we might jump around a little bit, but I thought just just now, if we could jump back to uh, Maria and the writing of that, because so mm-hmm. much has happened since. We'll 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 catch up to current. Mm-hmm. Um, but could you just talk a little bit about writing of Maria when you decided to write it, um, where you were at, and a little background on that book? Um, yeah. So uh, you know, I've always had an interest in horror. Always loved horror. Um, but I gotten. I, I was at a point in my life where I, I felt something was really missing. And again, back to. Uh, you know, uh, a difficult time emotionally and mentally. And I I needed something. And I just kind of dug deep and I just said, I'm just going to, I had an idea and I I had a dream actually, again, with a disturbed sleep. (laughs) (laughs) I had a dream and um, I just started, I just started um, writing and I just didn't stop. And, um, yeah, and, and since that day, it just writing has given me something that uh, I needed in my life that I just didn't have the courage to pursue and or the confidence. Um, and it's been one of the most fulfilling things for me personally, and uh, and it's fun. Yeah. One of the things you just, there's a few things I want to pick up on there, but one of the things you just said is, you know, you just kind of sat down and wrote yeah. Maria. Now, Maria's, yeah. a, I've read it. It's, it's a big, <laughs> complicated, you know, globe-spanning adventure. Did you really just sit down and, and write it one day or was there, was there planning involved? I am not a planner. I am the most chaotic, crazy <laughs> person you will meet. I'm really chaotic, <laughs> filled with lots of passion. I'm incredibly passionate about life and, agenda and everything pretty much. Um, uh, but okay. So I, you know, had this idea, uh, had, had this dream, which ended up will, will eventually be book two. Um, but also I looked at my Kindle and there's not a lot of Latinas in horror. There are not a lot of, uh, Mexican American women writing horror, not a lot of women of color writing horror. And I looked at my Kindle and I was like, and my bookshelf. And I was like, it's just like a lot of white men or, there was just a lot of the same things. And I remember, um, and I, I've said this in other podcasts, I, I was reading The Passage. I enjoyed the first book. And then I got to the third book. And it was just like, there were parts of it I thought were just, I'm like, do I really need to, sorry, no offense, but I mean, I've read about white man pain enough. Absolutely none taken. <laughs> I've, I've read enough about the experience of white dudes in horror and their perspective and their experience and how they look at women and how they view the world. And I was like, you know, and, and maybe some of that also had to, you know, bothered me because of things that were happening in my own personal life. And, 
And yeah, so I just, I literally sat down on my computer and just wrote. And I, I'm that shit, you know, I just had so much inside of me that, you know, I cried through parts of it while I was typing. Um, I stopped, I started um, until it was finished. And then in between that, I wrote other things. Because that's what I, I do when I write novels is if I get stuck or I need a mental break, I'll just, I, I always have ideas coming and I'll just hop onto a short story or hop into something else. So that's how I came up with Misty's of Blood, the collection, because I was just writing all these stories and I just collected them. The ones that I didn't, um, I didn't submit or the ones I didn't want to submit or the ones that were rejected, but you know, I just held on to them and kept polishing, polishing, polishing them. Um, and so that's what I do is, uh, again, I'm chaos. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I am, uh, organized, passionate chaos when it comes to my writing and I'll just hop here and there until, and then just work on it and go for it and work on it and work on it. But there's no rhyme or reason. It's just like, what's, what's in my mind, what's inside of me. And I just have to get it out. Yeah, I'm kind of the same. I have found that it can be very helpful to have another project to jump onto if you yeah. get to a block, especially if you're not planning it. Sometimes if you're writing into the dark on a on a project, you can come to a point where you just need to be thinking about something else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jumping onto something a little bit shorter yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. can be an easy way to sort of reset your mind and then and then generate some new excitement to go back and start oh absolutely and I just don't want to forget my ideas you know you just want to even if it's not complete I'll just open up a word document just to get it down yeah yeah Uh, so how long are we talking from you sitting down to write Maria you've had the dream and you sit down and write it obviously you have these little uh breaks where you do some shorts and things like that just to get an idea of the time frame because some people's first novels can take years decades it can be a long time and I'm just wondering what kind of time frame were you talking from the first draft took three to four months the first draft and then obviously you have to just go over it a million and ten times but just the initial like spurt of like ideas and uh um emotions and scenes and the music it just all kind of happened yeah and also um you know, to, to consider things getting published these days, there are word counts. So you do need to consider, um, how long it is and it needs to fit a certain, I guess, is it a novella? Is it a novel? What is it going to be? You have to kind of decide. Yeah. A lot of, um, a lot of writers, unfortunately, I don't count myself among them. In the past, I've been quite slow on getting longer works out. Short stories I can kick out fairly quickly, but, um, the, the novel that I've been working on has been for, has been for a long while now. And, um, I've heard from other writers who write quickly, how, uh, how clean their drafts can become, how surprisingly clean they are and how good they write when they write fast. You know, they're really pleased with uh, what comes out of them when they don't overthink. Uh, did the draft, the first draft, obviously there's things like typos and, and ways to, to edit the prose a little bit, but did the, the story change drastically between drafts or was it really that first draft, was it kind of the final product that we see now with regards to plot? Um, so the, the first draft was, um, I mean, it was a mess. 
Um, and then just as I started to clean it up, I started to add things and thought, oh, you know, this would clarify this more. I think this, I need to dig into this more. And um, I wanted to, you know, incorporate, like as a Mexican-American, there are a lot of um, stereotypes and I wanted to kind of reclaim those stereotypes and use them. So I, I thought of all the things that kind of um, bothered me, hurt me, experiences, and I, I, I wanted to put that in the mythology. Um, same with like the vampire mythology, just turn it all the way around. But also expand kind of the experience of women and, and women from different times in history and places and being assigned and saying like, no, this is all you can be. This is, this is who you are. And this is how you'll be judged forever and ever. And I wanted to show that. And obviously be, you can't do that in real life because you, you know, we're limited as humans, but if you have a vampire life and you did have that immortality, how much you could change about your, the perception of who you are from where you come from and how you could rise above those things. And, and so it became more than just this story. It became just like this epic idea of, of womanhood and being a woman of color and um, also kind of the mixing of pagan and uh, Judeo-Christian because, again, being Mexican-American, uh, you have a mix of both of those culturally um, just from the history. You know, my ancestors were pagans, but we were forced to convert. And, and now Catholicism is a huge thing. And um, and religion. And I wanted to kind of incorporate all that and make it a big mashup. So it literally, I just, as I was writing it, it just grew, it just grew and grew and all these ideas. And I just, yeah, it just happened. I don't know. <laughs> as I, I cleaned it up and as I was just going through it, it just became this bigger and bigger project. Yeah, well, I, I mean, you've, you've touched on quite a few things that I, I want to talk about there. <laughs> <laughs> I almost don't know where to, uh, where I know, to go next. I'm chaos. <laughs> I, lo I love it. It's great. It's great. Um, but I'm going to jump to something um, just that you, you touched on just briefly because it, it just made me think as you were talking about, about horror and, and the fact that you write horror. And... Uh, you were talking in earlier when we when we mentioned COVID about difficult times and how that has been surprisingly good for your for your productivity at least when it comes to writing. Is yeah. is that why you write horror? Is horror for you kind of cathartic to to write and work through these things? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I well, one I've just always loved horror. You know, there's a lot of mythology culturally. Um, urban legends. I grew up with a lot of folklore. So it's always just been there kind of like this white noise. Um, and I just loved it and watched horror films since I was really young, probably too young. Um, and, uh, there's just something about, and, and I think it also is personality. I'm not like, a a happy, I am, I, I am a, quite bubbly and sociable, but I'm not a very kind of, um, I tend to gravitate towards the darker parts of life and my thoughts are just darker and, um, and I can't help it. And so it just comes out that way. I mean, I love 
you know, erotic romance. I like that push and pull, but I mean, ask me to, to write like a cozy mystery or I'm like, what the fuck is a cozy? What does cozy mean? What does cozy feel like? Because I, and again, maybe it's because of where I come from and I have no, I guess if I really tried, I could, but I have, I have no foundation for that. So it's hard for my mind to go there. It's just the way I think I, 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 I'm programmed, the way I've been raised, the things I experienced from a young child that have shaped me, trauma. Um, it's just the way, like I said, I think it's just the way that I'm programmed and the way my mind operates and my heart. I can't, I can't change it. Yeah, it's just a, a lifelong love of horror. I'm exactly the same. All my ideas just seem to gravitate towards that. And I think there is there is a lot of hope in horror. Uh, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah. and that's the thing. I, I, I always have like hopeful, you know, my endings always do have hope and or there's always this sense of, um, you know, empowerment. But I tend to have a pretty... Um, dark view of the world i guess that's understandable yeah <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately um one of the things you mentioned there as well which just brings us back to around the time of maria and just goes back a little bit because i kind of want to work through up to where you are currently is that you also wrote uh, an erotica novel was that around the same time of um mm-hmm. maria? yeah 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 what was the title of that novel again? Sorry. I'm... Um, the Erotic Modern Life of Malinali the Vampire. Okay. And then yeah. there's uh, Sed de Sangre, which is three short stories. Yeah, and that was that that came out a lot more recently. And yeah, yeah, yeah. One of, the, one of the things I wanted to ask you about, because you obviously have Maria around mm-hmm. the same time you wrote the erotica novel. Mm-hmm. And I've heard you mention that the, the erotica novel is much more kind of a straight erotica. You, you tend to... It's more erotic romance. Yeah, yeah. You t- and I was just wondering, because with Sed de Sangre, you, you're kind of merging erotica and horror. I was just wondering if you'd talk a little bit about why you decided to keep those separate at the start and the journey to, to kind of merging those two. It's actually a very, a very practical thing. Um, for Malinali, I wanted to, um, I, sub- I, I wanted to be published by a, a publisher who, who was looking for paranormal romance. It was rejected. And so I said, well, it's going to come out anyways. <laughs> um, and, and when you do publishers, especially romance publishers, they have specific like uh, it needs a happy ending. It needs or it's like um, happy, happy for now, happily ever after. Like they have all these acronyms of how it kind of the formula. So I wrote it to fit the formula, but I liked it and it was meant to be a series and it could still be, but it was rejected. So I didn't. And I started writing the uh, the other books, but then I again I got because it was rejected, and I just I wasn't sure how if people would like it, if it was the kind of thing they'd be into. So again, you have a, a Latina from Mexican history. I wasn't sure what people would think, so I put it out there anyway, and people seem to enjoy it. Said the sangre was a bit of the same thing. Erotic horror isn't huge, and again, when it does come out, it's male dominated. Um, you have, you know, editors with certain, um, you know, they, they, they want this, this, and this, and this. And I just want to write what I want to write. And I don't want those limitations. And I would like to put out um, 
an all-female erotic core anthology. And so Sed de Sangre in some ways, well, in most of the ways, that's why it's so short, it's only three stories, was a bit of a test to see how people respond to it, to see if people actually would read it, if they would like it. And so far it's had really high reviews and it's quite charged and it's gory and it's uh, extremely erotic and sensual. Um, but I, it was just to see how far I can go, how far I can push those limitations. And people have liked it so far. Yeah, did, did that rejection, because obviously you were talking about how, Maria, you sat down and it kind of flowed out of you mm-hmm. and you were describing yourself as kind of chaotic writing. It's interesting that when you tried to write something that fit a model that someone else had requested, that it didn't, it didn't work out for whatever reason. Did that kind of influence how your writing afterwards when you thought, you know what, I'm just going to write what I want to read and not try and fit someone else's model? Yes, exactly. Because I'm, I'm going to, the way I figure, and, and, you know, there's been a lot of discussion recently about publishing and how difficult it is for people of color to kind of get their foot in the door, how um, it is just, you know, so predominantly white. Um, that I, yeah, I was just fed up. I'm just like, I'm, why am I going to try to please someone who doesn't want me in the first place? And so I've made the conscious decision to just go for it. Yeah, I love that. And I think that's one of the great things about self-publishing, indie publishing, is that we're getting this sort of um, pure expression because it's not trying to fit models, yeah. you know. It's, yeah. it's the it's the clearest way to see someone and you know, this is what I, this is how I see the world. Um, And that's absolutely what I love about it. And I guess that, that kind of takes us along nicely to boosting marginalized voices. Obviously something you feel very strongly about. I think it's a great thing. I realized very kind of depressingly recently how, how my bookshelves were basically just a lot of white dudes. I'm sorry to say. <laughs> no, it's true. I mean, when people really look, you, you don't think about it. But but once again, it goes back to the problem of publishing. It's not always necessarily the readers for the long time. It's been the publishers just had those their gatekeepers. They were closing those doors. Now it's getting better. And with like you said, indie publishing has been really um, great with trying to boost voices of women and people of color. So, um, and, uh, you know, other people from marginalized communities and indie publishing is really kind of stepping up, I think, in certain ways. So now readers have more of a choice, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And it does just take, or, or sometimes it did for me anyway, it takes someone to say, hey, have a look at your bookshelf. Um, yeah. You know, what? what is the predominant kind of theme going on there? And I, I certainly it was never an intentional thing. It was, no, it was just a, a case of, oh yeah, all my, all my favorite writers, they're all, they're all men. <laughs> that seems weird because, you know, I live in London. London is a fantastically multicultural city. Yeah. My, uh, when I walk out the door, my friends, my work colleagues, they're all from different backgrounds. They're all from uh, different countries. It seems weird to me that my bookshelf doesn't reflect that. So I'm so glad that there's people kind of reminding us out there that these things take a look absolutely Um, um and that's kind of you know the the big goal especially in horror to just kind of open those doors because 
there's so many different life experiences that can be explored and really can uh, um, enrich the genre. Yeah, I do want to jump around a little bit more, but just because this is so so relevant to what we're talking about now, you're, we'll jump all the way ahead. Let's just inject some chaos into this. Why not? <laughs> I don't mind. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we'll talk about Freight Girl Summer. Could you... Yeah. Um, this is your current project. This has happened all within lockdown, I believe. Could you just give us an idea? Because it, it covers... There's quite a lot going on under that one banner. Yeah. So uh, once again, I mean, look, we all had plans. I mean, we were due to go to StokerCon. Yes, we were. What the fuck? 2020. (laughs) Okay. I think it changed like three times the date or something. And, you know, everything was getting canceled, canceled, canceled. And it's, and a lot of on Twitter, especially a lot of writers were feeling worried and concerned and so much was just happening. And it was like, okay, well, let's everything went online everything became virtual so hey why not boost um you know women boost um uh people from uh, marginalized communities online everything there's no everything's canceled summer's canceled but it doesn't have to be and and i think everybody was quite depressed for some time there it was just like the news was awful you know we're stuck inside there's, you know, I just felt like I needed to do something. Um, and I put a tweet out there and my friend Sonora answered and she's like, oh yeah, Friday summer. And I actually, the, the actual title, and in my mind, I'm a really big um, Megan the Stallion fan. And she has a song called Hot Girl Summer and I love it. But I was like, this is like not a hot girl summer. This is like a, the shittiest. <laughs> I don't even know what this is what we're living in um this pandemic was just yeah it was and and the way it was being handled by all the governments it was really depressing so let's do something positive let's just and so that's it happened that's it just has kind of gone from there yeah and for everyone who who hasn't clicked through to see it yet can you just give them a, a little description of the kind of content yes. you have over there um yeah so um if you um you know, are a woman in horror, uh, please, uh, get in touch, have a look. So you, you can, there's short stories, like there's like over 20 free short stories in flash fiction, um, book releases. There's a publisher feature, of course, because it's very important. We have a black voices matter page. So where we boost and highlighted, um, black writers, uh, and a reading list. So if you want to diversify, we have all of these amazing, uh, black females with their books. Um, we have another reading list for women of color. We have for pride, we have an LGBTQIA section. Um, the wonderful Haley Piper wrote, um, a list of short story, queer short stories. Um, I said book releases. We have essays. We have, uh, an art, an artist bazaar. So artists can go and, and, you know, again, Let's boost people's income. You know, they're selling their art. We can put you on there. Indie publishers, because again, you know, with things being canceled, book fairs, cons, everything's going online. So we have that. Um, Yeah, a bit of everything. And participate if they want to submit reviews for books by women or readings or, um, yeah, so... 
that's kind of how we what, what's on there. Yeah, there's there's so much, and yeah. I'm um, I'm just now going to start one of your reading challenges, which uh, oh cool, I've thank just you. Now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I've just I'm almost finished your book here, Spray and Switchblade, so I'm going to use that as my first book in oh, three. Great, I hope you're enjoying it. <laughs> That's a bit strange. I'm really loving it. I really oh, thank you. <laughs> um, so I'm excited to do that. But one of the things I'll just come back to, just talking about diversifying my bookshelf and why it was important to me. I think it's important to us as readers, but we have a lot of writers as our audience. And we often hear the advice, if you if you want to be a, a writer, then read widely. And often that just means read outside your genre. But I absolutely think it relates to diverse authors as well. You want to enrich your worldview by having these different voices, these different cultures. Really, when I read your books, I've, I've read a few now, and I, it feels like I'm learning about so much. I'm traveling the world to places I've <laughs> never been all that is enriching kind of me. Uh, it's obviously very entertaining and it can't help but enrich our writing as well. I just think it's, um, I just think it's Thank obvious. You. So. Yeah, no, absolutely. Thank you. Um, yeah, I, unfortunately I, um, you know, one, so I've d- been doing a lot of writing, but my reading has suffered immensely during the lockdown, um, just because I'm writing so much, but then, um, yeah, just kind of taking the time because I have to choose between both and then having children around all the time it's it's just you have to juggle yeah. so I'm hoping I can pick up more reading this fall but uh, I've got a lot on my plate to finish so but yeah I agree try to read what you can um, and boost those voices yeah, hundred percent. And and I've had a, a very similar response. My reading hasn't stopped because I, it's so important to me to keep reading. But I have really drastically slowed down. It's taken me a long time to get through the books that I'm I'm reading. So I'm sure that that's related. I don't know exactly what that means, but mm. it's yeah, it's strange the way that you respond to these events. Um, and we're all responding differently. Uh, my writing's taken a knock as well, but that's another story. <laughs> Um, you mentioned uh, earlier, and it's just something I want to talk about because it obviously relates to your current output, but it also relates to uh, the short stories that you were writing earlier is anthologies because I'm seeing you pop up in so many anthologies. It's really exciting. I now know that you you write these to, to kind of take a break from longer works. Are, are these stories that you have and then they just fit anthologies? Are you writing them for anthologies specifically? How, is, how does that work? Uh, so when I started, they were, um, it was mostly like I had some stories, but, um, once again, I was just collecting them because I, like a while back, a year ago, I had some, and I got a lot of rejections. So I just kind of said, Oh, I'm just going to keep them for myself. Um, and then, uh, as more people started to read my work, um, I was invited And I was like, oh, well, I have this story and it fit. Um, But then also what's happened. So half of it, half of the stories you'll see coming out soon or like this year, later this year and next year are invites. But also others that you'll see, I'll see the submission call and I'll get really excited. So I've had an acceptance for a story. And um, I mean, I wrote this story in like a day. I was so excited about the call. I was like, oh my God, that sounds amazing. And I just, the idea, I just saw it. I saw it from beginning to end. I knew exactly what I wanted to say. I knew exactly the picture I wanted to paint. 
and I just wrote it. It just flew out of me. I sent it in. And by the grace of Jesus, it was accepted. <laughs> um, and then I've had, you know, those invites. And so they're like, okay, this is an anthology about X, Y, and Z. And so then you're like, okay, uh, I have an idea. Um, or I'll have ideas in my head and I'll see a submission call or get an invite. And then I'm like, oh, I had this idea. So I had an invite and I was at the Isle of Wight in July. And uh, I, um, I love traveling. I love being, it inspires me. And that's the best part of being in London, as you know, is the travel. I mean, you're, it's like the UK is like the doorway to, yeah. we've talked about Iceland before. Um, and I just, I saw these lobster traps just all stacked up. And I just, again, uh, just seeing these, these lonely lobster traps in the ocean and the smell of this, the scent of the sea. And I just had this whole idea. And then I got this invite and I'm like, oh, I know exactly what I'm going to write. And then I just sit down and do it. And then thinking about places I've, I've traveled and yeah. So these stories, then, because that's what I was going to ask. And I was thinking, and you maybe kind of answered it. I was going to ask if the deadlines of anthologies, I always find the deadlines the, the trickiest part because I see a call for an anthology. I get really excited about it. I think I've got the perfect story. I just don't know where I'm going to fit it in. Are you quite, I guess, like that? Kind I've of missed a lot of calls that I've wanted to do yeah, uh, where yeah. I've seen them. I've missed a few. Um, so, yeah, it doesn't always work out, but sometimes it does. So, I saw one like two days ago and I have the idea. I've started writing it. Um, but let's see if I can finish it. That's a thing. So yeah. if the, it's trickier. If it's like up to 3,000 words, it's a bit easier than we need something three to six or seven. Then it's a bit like, <laughs> can I do that? <laughs> it just depends. I, honestly, it's one of those things. The stars have to kind of align. But you don't, is it easy for you to compartmentalize your current story idea? Let's say you're working on a novel or a novella, something a bit longer, and this comes along. I guess it comes back to this chaotic nature that you were talking yeah, about. Yeah, absolutely. It's easy for so, you just to stop. I, yeah, so for example, I will often hop between projects. So I, I'm currently working on a science fiction, well, science fiction novel. Uh, I want to get it to the word count so I can start uh, subbing it to. Uh, agents so I'm like just focusing on that but then I saw this call so I've, I've put my idea down and I was thinking about it all last night um and so I've started it but then I'll hop back onto the science fiction and I just go back and forth well just speaking as a reader of your work I'm very excited to see what you're doing with the science fiction <laughs> let's see I'm excited uh, yeah that, that kind of makes me think actually because it's one of the things and you did mention it just briefly earlier but it's something I, I wrote down that I wanted to talk about because it, it seems to me that you like to play with genre tropes a little bit the kind of things that we would recognize uh, you've got uh, Maria the Wanted which is a vampire novel but in in your book the typical got to stay out of sunlight thing Maria can can walk around in sunlight and Hairspray and Switchblades, which I'm reading just now, it's a shapeshifter novel. We'd normally be more familiar with uh, werewolves, but you're, in yours it's a jaguar. And I was wondering if it was something that you kind of take pleasure in and do you set yourself that challenge? Like, I want to do something different. I, I don't want to do the same as before. Absolutely. <laughs> I am like, challenge accepted. <laughs> um, absolutely. Um, 
So, but also they're, they're culturally significant. So for example, um, my ancestors worshiped the sun. The sun was vital. The sun was everything. Um, so I wanted that to be important. Um, and then for the uh, hairspray and switchblades, jaguars are revered. Jaguars are um, very important culturally, and they're everywhere. They're they're just um, they're they significant signify power and um, you know bravery and uh, the um, the Aztecs would paint their armor to look like jaguars. So jaguars are very, very important. And then in, in Sed de Sangre, I don't know if you read Snake Hips, I have the jaguar, okay, the jaguars appear in there. Jaguars appear, um, I think, in the Kukui of Cancun. I, I have all those things that are culturally significant in my stories. Um, because, again, you know, I don't want to just write you know, there was a ghost in a house. I mean, if it's going to be a ghost, it's going to be like, you know, the ghost of like a high priestess. And uh, yeah, so uh, it's going to be different. It's going to be me. It's going to be culturally relevant. It's going to have something to do with, um, for example, Goddess of Filth. It's it's an uh, exorcism story, but not in the way you would think. Okay, I'm excited. Yeah, I love the um, I love the antagonist in uh, Hairspray and Switchblades. The Weaver is a very, very interesting antagonist. I don't want to talk too much about it because <laughs> let people discover it themselves. But yeah, that's uh, and that really is culturally significant as well. The Weaver. We may be getting we may be straying into spoiler territory, so it's something <laughs> we we'll have to talk about that maybe over a glass of wine. Yes, um, exactly. Chiller con. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah, no, that was so dis- so disappointing when uh, StokerCon got moved, not once, but twice. But hopefully in January, we'll be able to... Honestly, we'll able to I just, I'm like, please, please, please. <laughs> we'll see what happens. Yeah. Um, so I, I've, I've been writing down, you keep on inspiring ideas for questions and I've been <laughs> writing them down, but we're, we are running short <laughs> on time. So I'm probably going to jump around a little bit here. That's okay. Go for things. it. Go for it. Um, but one of the things that you that you also said, which I liked and I definitely picked up on when I was reading your stuff, is music. And it plays such a huge part in, in all, I think, all the stories of yours that I've read. And you're obviously talking about how Fright Girl Summer, even the name of that was inspired by a song. What's the relationship between music and your writing? Are you, are you listening to these songs as you're writing? Yeah, I, I'm obsessed with music. I love music. I love concerts. Um, and all genres. And uh, so I listen to a lot of music when I write, but I also feel like for me, um, music can just take you back to the, an, an exact minute and second of your life. I, I mean, there are songs that I hear and I can, and, and they're just vivid memories that I attach to that. That'll make me really happy or really fucking sad or, you know, it'll, or angry, it'll just take. And I think also, um, music is 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 a good way to describe people and 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 their loves and their outlook on life. The music we listen to and gravitate towards. And um, so for me, and it just sets the mood. It sets it sets the tone. It um, I think it just helps create a, 
a, a more complete picture. And for me, when I listen to a song, I listen to music, it just kind of takes me there. It just, it just, I'm there in the moment, in the scene. I can see it. I can feel it. I can smell it. I can talk to these characters and it just, it just really inspires me. Yeah, it's clear from reading it that you're obviously a fan of so many different types of music yeah. and you use it. And it's, it's interesting to learn that that's a huge influence and that your dreams are an influence as well, which I never picked up on until you mentioned it earlier. Are you a very kind of vivid dreamer? Do you always yes. remember your dreams? Uh, sometimes I just will wake up with like an emotion or a feeling. Um, like when, I know when the pandemic first hit I had very vivid dreams but apparently a lot of people were it was kind of like this weird phenomenon but um yeah I will have very very crazy you know vivid dreams sometimes I remember them sometimes I don't um do you uh, oh sorry it does okay it just it just depends on what it is if it it inspires me if I want to write about it or if I just can't sleep then I'll just like lay there in bed and think about a story I'm working on or an idea and I'll just kind of play it out in my head until I fall back asleep or I have to get up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's what I was going to ask next. Are you the kind of writer that sleeps with a notepad on their bedside table? Like, do you write it down? No, or? no, I'm too lazy for that. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I'm that. too lazy. I'll think about it and I'll get up and I'll, um, so typically in the morning I try to have enough time where I come down, I have a coffee and I listen to music before I start my day. And I finish a cup of coffee with music to just center myself and get me there. And um, and then I'll start writing and I'll think about whatever I'm thinking about. I have notepads strategically placed everywhere because <laughs> as soon as I come up with an idea, I know that if I don't get it down, it's going to, it's going, it's going. Mm. Um, I did say this was going to be a bit chaotic. So now I'm just going to jump straight back to anthologies yeah. again, because we spoke about you uh, contributing to anthologies, but you are now, this was very recently announced, uh, that you are now mm. co-editing an anthology called Latinx Screams. Is that, mm. that's right? Yes. I just wanted to know if you could, if you could quickly, because I, I know that we're going to, we're going to. Yeah, no, 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 that's fine. That's fine. No, take your time. Um, yeah, it's basically a, a, a horror anthology. <laughs> it's a horror anthology. Sorry about that. No, I like um, it. It's chaos. It's good. It's very on brand. <laughs> it is. It is so on brand. Um, it's, a, it's a horror anthology of just uh, Latino writers. That's why it's Latinx Scream. So, I mean, the stories are amazing. So you have people from, you know, look, we're not um, a monolith. We come from different backgrounds, uh, different countries. We have different belief systems. And these uh, stories reflect that. And so, yeah, you, you have everything from, like, robots. You have, um, you know, a... Uh, it's not really a I, I don't want to say too much because then it's going to ruin it. Then the stories are amazing. You have Santa Muerte, you have, um, you have folklore, you have, um, yeah, this monster in a chicken processing plant. I mean, you've got a ton of stuff and, you know, we have, again, the backgrounds are wonderful. Mexican-Americans, we have um, Af an Afro-Latina, we have a Puerto Rican, uh, Puerto Rican writers, we have, I mean, just, it's just so diverse. And that's the thing. Like people are like, oh, you're 
of Latinx anthology, but the diversity within the Latinx community is very rich. And the, again, I'm going to, I sound like a broken record, but um, it's, you know, it's beautiful, these stories and beliefs and you just, it, it's wonderful. And I wanted to bring that and it hasn't really been done in horror. How does it feel going from contributor to being the one calling the shots? Yeah, it's great. It's great. And I actually might put a story in there, um, but I, I, it was one I was working on, but I, I might, because it's, it's it's a Christmas release, so it might be a Christmas story. Yeah, it's great because you... Um, it's nice to boost other writers. It's nice to, um, yeah, I, I like giving back. I like seeing others, um, shine and succeed. And, and again, you know, going back to publishing, you know, you just never know if, if an editor is going to be like, what is this? I, I, you know, I don't get it. But if you have someone, you know, uh, you have two Latinas editing this, this anthology full of, Latinx writers, you know, we get it. We want to hear that. We appreciate it. And and some editors will be open-minded and some aren't. So you just never know. And um, that's why I'm glad we can do this and to to really shine a light on Latinx horror. Yeah, I mentioned that you you like to give back and you absolutely do that. And it's a perfect segue into uh, one of the last little topics that I'd, I'd kind of written down was social media. Um, yeah. we, we would not be talking now if it weren't for social media. We mm-hmm. That's how we got, yeah, how yeah, we yeah. met. The horror community on Twitter is very vibrant. You are a very important and a supportive voice in that community. And I, I was just wondering, I, th- I, th- I think you succeed. Oh, thank um, you. Is social media something, because it's something I struggle with, I tend to find that it's not uh, an automatic response for me to go on and and share. I I love going on and and reading and seeing what everyone's doing and keeping up to date with things, but I'm not good at sharing myself. Um, I was wondering when you started, uh, did you kind of have a a, a, a strategy? Strategy is a horrible word and it's not what I mean. Oh, I know what you mean. No, 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 I know. Um, You know, actually, I was feeling very lonely. I felt really alone on this journey, especially being a woman of color, feeling really rejected, um, trying to, um, you know, getting some interesting messages from editors and and agents. And it was just, I, I felt really, really down. And I just needed, I just needed to talk to people. I just needed people who'd been there, who've gone through it and advice and just to kind of have, a shoulder to cry on and to know that I wasn't alone in, in, in struggling in publishing and, and uh, just people with that were like-minded. And also then it came to sharing my own struggles, like, Hey, it's not easy. And then you just, it just kind of, I've met some amazing friends, like amazing friends. Like I wish we could like just hang out all the time. Um, But yeah, it was because I felt really alone on this journey. It was a genuine, heartfelt thing. Now, saying that, social media can, you know, it does have like an uh, an ugly face um, and it can be really damaging to mental health. Like you can, all, and I've had to take social media breaks when it's just become too negative or when I find myself comparing myself to other people's journeys and you feel like I'm never going to achieve what I want to achieve. 
you know, it makes you feel like, what am I doing wrong? Why am I not here? I should be here. I should be there. I should be doing this. And you can put yourself in that, that uh, kind of like spin cycle. And it's just really toxic. So I always tell people, yes, you're going to meet amazing people. Uh, It's you feel less alone, especially if you're trying to start out and you're struggling. Um, It's good to know you're not alone, but at the same time, Sometimes you do need to take a break. Don't compare yourself. Um, Do what you need to do to stay healthy and happy. And if that means take a break from social media, then do it. And for me, like Twitter is about boosting and about um, connecting. And I try to stay positive. Sometimes I will get a bit like, oh, hell no, because I just can't help myself. Um, But yeah, that's kind of how it started. Instagram, it's more like... I. You know, Instagram is like, I like doing pictures of my books, what's happening in my personal life, my Instagram stories. It's chaos. (laughs) It's like music. What am I drinking? What am I drinking? What am I eating? What am I doing? Um, how, How I'm feeling? What am I writing? It's more personal. It's kind of like, I, I, I'm kind of letting people in a bit. Um, uh, and uh, yeah, it's just kind of, and, and that's, again, with the pandemic and lockdown, social media was it, in some ways was important because that loneliness and that feeling just cla- that claustrophobia. But at the same time, the news on Twitter, you're just like, it was just getting worse and worse and worse. And sometimes you're like, I can't read anymore. <laughs> like yeah. reading about deaths, reading about just, it was really yeah, I, I have had the the same uh, the same response, and I am now uh, just coming out the other side of a social media break. I've been lurking around there, but it's yeah. kind of been an extended social media break for me. Um, we are. I don't know where the time has gone. It has absolutely flown by. <laughs> I know. It's like you know. Seriously, it's gone so quick. I feel like it's been fifteen minutes. Yeah, there's so many things that um, I could have <laughs> talked about. But just to wrap things up, you've covered this and, you, and we've spoken about it a little bit, but we have one question that we always ask yeah. all our guests and I think you might have, uh, have touched upon it in a few of our answers already, but it's, it's just the simple question, why do you write? And I was wondering if you had anything you wanted to add in, in response to that question from what you've, oh, what you've I write said. because I just have no choice. I, I really honestly it's it's um it just helps me exist it helps me be it makes me happy and so I have no choice because there are times I've, I've wanted to give up when it gets tough when the rejection rejections roll in when you again like compare yourself on social media um there are times I wanted to give up and be like, you know what? No one cares about my stories. I'm not good enough. My writing is shit. I don't have an MFA. I don't have an agent. I don't have, I'm getting in that. But every time I say like, I'm not going to do it. I'm like literally, I don't know, two hours later, let me holler at you. <laughs> Where, where's that open tab? I've got eight open tabs on my computer. One more one. <laughs> I, I am just... I can't stay away. It's like, um, it's like, yeah, like one of my relationships when I was like in college, you know, you just, you can't help it. 
<laughs> that's a good way of looking at it yeah no I'm, and i'm very glad that you have returned each time that you've had these thoughts oh, all right thank you um uh, like i said there's so many things i could have done i th- i think what we do with all our guests as well as as well as asking them uh why do you write is we like to close up with a quick fire round yeah absolutely go for it this is just a, some very uh, silly very fast um, questions I'm you I'm can down. pass if you want so let's just okay, jump into let's the go quick for fire it round. i'm ready <laughs> okay Question one, what's your favorite movie monster? Ooh, um, well, definitely uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula, Gary Oldman. Oh, specific, I like it. Question two, someone has... Hot and scary. (laughs) (laughs) What a combination. I know. Uh, Question two, someone hands you the controls to Spotify at a house party. What Uh track are you putting on to get everyone up dancing? Um, Back That Ass Up by Juvenile. Question three, red or white wine? Oh, Jesus. Both. One in each <laughs> hand. Question four. Uh, first country you're going to visit post-lockdown? The US. Question five. Novellas or novels? Oh, honey. The, the story dictates. Or the publisher. <laughs> Question six. What are you reading at the moment? I am unfortunately not reading anything right now. Oh, yes, I feel guilty. Question seven, what's the design, if there is one, on your face mask or face covering that you wear to the shops? Uh, It's a plain blue surgical mask. Question eight, British or American chocolate? Uh, Actually, um, Belgian chocolate. I like it. (laughs) Question nine, uh, who's your favorite character in all of fiction? Big one. Mm, Maria from Maria the Wanted. Um. (laughs) I love it. Cheeky bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Question 10, the last TV box set that you binge watched? Oh, Peaky Blinders. Nice. And finally, a little bonus one. Question 11, where can our listeners find out more about you and all that you're working on? Um, On Twitter and Instagram, at the Latina London. And then my um, Fright Girl Summer frightgirlsummer.com or vvcastro.com. Perfect. And I'll include all those links and more in the show notes. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It was so nice meeting you finally. Yeah, finally. <laughs> it should have been at StokerCon, but you know. ChillerCon still. ChillerCon, fingers crossed. I'm there with you. Um, Violet, thank you so much for taking thank the time you, out you. and joining me All and right, being my take care. first guest. Yes, I know. It's such an honor. Very, very much an honor. So stay safe and take you care. You too. You too. <laughs> thank you. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Great Writer Share podcast. Tune in next week when Faye will be joined by author, poet, and blogger Ritu Batal. Don't forget that you can catch up on the entire backlist of Great Writer Share episodes, plus a ton of behind-the-scenes content, early access to episodes, our Slack group, monthly Q&As with me and the other hosts, and even one-to-one coaching from Dan by joining our Patreon from as little as a dollar per month. Head on over to patreon.com forward slash Share for all the details. Until next time. <laughs>